that woke you up. If, if it didn't, I, you really are tired. Well, it's good to be together today. And as, uh, as you heard earlier, um, this is a day that a lot of us have been waiting for for a while. Those who know about how good the food will be are really excited about the Thanksgiving potluck. And those like myself who don't know but have heard a lot, I've been anticipating this day. So I just want to reiterate that we would love for you to join us. This may be the very first time you're hearing about it. And uh, regardless if, if, if you brought anything or anything like that, we would love for you to come and join us. We will have probably more than, way more than enough food. We, we asked everybody to bring a side and a dessert so that we are completely covered. So please, please stay and join us for a great time of food and fun together today. Well, today we are wrapping up our series on 1 Peter. Um, some of you are probably really excited about that because maybe this hasn't been your favorite book or series. Others of you maybe be mourning that. But regardless, I, I, I trust that the Lord has used it, that he will continue to use it in our lives. Next week, we will be beginning our Advent series and invite you to join us for that. The captain of a ship looked into the dark night and saw faint lights in the distance. And immediately, he told his signalman to send a message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. Promptly, a return message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain began to be angry and his com because his command had been ignored. So he sent a second message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. And soon another message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am seaman third class Jones. And immediately the captain sent a third message, knowing the fear that it would evoke. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. Then the reply came. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. <laughs> the captain of this battleship lacked something that almost caused things to end very badly for he and those on his, on his crew. Humility. This captain lacked humility. He thought that he had it all figured out, that he knew what he was doing. Many people, in fact, I would say most people lack humility. If, if we're honest with ourselves, you and I, we have a humility deficiency. If you don't think that, you prove that you do. We spend the majority of our lives thinking how great we are, that we have it all figured out, and that we can do things on our own. And this creates a big, big problem for us because humility is absolutely necessary if we are going to be like Christ. If we are going to become like our Savior, we have to be humble. John Calvin said this. He said, if you ask me concerning the precepts of the Christian religion... First, second, and third, and always, I would answer humility. I mean, it is one of those things you just cannot avoid if you are going to follow God and become like Christ. And this morning, as we're, we're going to be in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 14, I want to wrestle with this question. 
how is God specifically calling us to humility? How is God specifically calling us to humility? So if you have a Bible, go ahead and flip with me to 1 Peter 5, 1 through 14. If you don't have one, it is, in, it is on page 1016 in the blue pew Bible. I know that because I did something I never thought I would do. I left my Bible at home today. That's like a pastor fail, if I've ever heard of one. So uh, I had an extra book, and I think I mistaked, like I had two things with me like I usually do, and I'm going to close with a prayer from this book. And so I don't know how that happened, but uh, maybe God's trying to, to teach me a little bit about humility in the midst of this. But we're going to be in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 14 in just a moment, and I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's word together as, as we often do, but I want to pray for us before we do that. God, this is a, a subject that every single one of us in this room, no matter where we are, what our story is, uh, we have a need to grow in humility. God, we need your help. I, I pray that you would just give us uh, a spirit and, and ears and a heart that are all very open to you today. Lord, this is something I believe you really, really want to talk to us about. And, and we, we, just, we just come before you today. We come before your word uh, asking you to, to speak to us, to be with us, to show us uh, who you are and how you are calling us to be like you in this area of humility. We pray that you would, you would use this to, to really speak to our hearts, that you would, you would draw us close to you today in this time in your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand as we read 1 Peter 5, 1 through 14. And it says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood, throughout the world, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Thanks. Y'all can take a seat. So if I covered all 14 verses that we just read, we would be here until 1145, 
and I would start to get sneers from some of you, or some of you might just up and leave because you know that there's food waiting over there. So for the sake of time today, we're going to focus on those first seven verses. And those, those verses, you really see that humility is the theme running throughout there. It's the theme of this passage. And um, as we move forward, or before we move forward, I think it would be really helpful for us to have a working definition of humility. I mean, we probably all have some idea of what this means, but I just want to just real quick cover in, 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 in brief, you know, just a basic understanding of it. So humility is really at the core. It's having a modest opinion of your own importance. Having a modest opinion of your own importance. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Just being less consumed with ourselves. Recognizing, I I think one way to put it would be humility is just understanding that you're not the center of the universe. Everything else in our culture teaches us that we are, but humility, a real understanding of it, is that you are not the center of the universe. So now we can move forward and and really begin to uh, answer that question of how is God specifically calling us to humility. And in these first four verses that we read, he addresses elders, and, and that's the first, the first uh, group that he talks to. And, and he says, I exhort the elders, and then goes on to say, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So the elders, according to Peter, who is a fellow elder, are to shepherd and lead the church, but they're supposed to do that in a certain way. How, in verses 2 and 3, he says, there's, there's a number of phrases there, but he says, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So, to kind of distill that down, supposed to sh- elders are supposed to shepherd and lead willingly, without selfishness, and without force. Like, brute control type, type uh, leadership. And really, at, underneath all of that, to, to do it in a way where it's gracious and it's selfless and, and uh, in a way where it's not about power requires humility. And so the first, the first answer to our question is, how is God specifically calling us to humility? And, and this applies to a, a certain uh, group, is God is calling the elders to shepherd the church with humility. He's calling the elders to shepherd the church with humility. And really, what, what, it, what it really looks like is, is that we're called to be like Christ. Elders are called to be people who humbly lay their lives down for the church, to recognize that their ultimate shepherd, the chief shepherd, is who we are called to emulate, who we're called to mimic. We're supposed to lead in the way that he led, by serving, by giving, I'm really thankful that here at Skillman we have a group of elders that exhibit this trait. And I'm not talking about myself, I'm talking about the others, just to be very, very clear. God is at work in the lives of these men, and and unfortunately, that's not always the case in every local church. But here, I see that, and I see that in the way that that these guys serve and love and interact with, with our church. And I know that it, is, it would be the desire, it is the desire of all of the elders here at Skillman to be held accountable to our church. And so 
I want to just invite you today that if you ever have any doubts about that, whether you, you, if you ever begin to question if our leaders, our elders are leading and shepherding in a way that is humble or if they're, if they're doing that with humility, please come and talk to us. We invite that from you. If you ever have any doubts, we would love for you to come and express that to us and dialogue with you about that. And I, I know, I didn't ask them that, but I just know that. It's, it's, it's the hearts of the men that lead our church. We really want this to be a place that is, a church that is loved and served by our leadership. And, and we invite you to talk to us if you think that that is not happening. So God calls the elders to shepherd the church with humility. And he also calls the church to reciprocate that humility. Look at verse 5. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So Peter has already made it clear here that the elders are not really just this group of people that are the oldest in the church. It's, it's, he's talking about people who have been set apart by God to lead and to shepherd the church. So knowing that that's who the elders are, the younger doesn't just mean the younger people in the church. It's actually saying anybody who's not an elder. So it's saying... The elders are called to shepherd and lead with humility, and the rest of the church is called to, to be subject to them with humility. And he really said, you know, he's, he starts out saying likewise. And so really, it's just a call for all of us to be humble people, to, to have humility, regardless of, of, of who we are. And that's the second answer to our question, though, is God is specifically calling the church to submit to the elders out of humility, to submit to the elders out of humility. By nature, none of us are prone to humility or submission. None of us is wired naturally to these things. We don't want to listen to somebody else. We don't have to follow anybody else. We don't like authority. But what Peter is teaching here is that the elders that God places in a local church are not just people who are there in those positions by chance or by human will, but they are ordained by God as leaders. And that this is something that he has specifically set apart these men to do. And so God calls the church to submit to the elders really in submission to him because they are earthly authority that he has placed over us. This is similar to earlier in the book where we talked about where he, he, he told us to be, Peter said, be subject to earthly authority, talking about like the civil authorities and government and so forth. In that, and he said that there's no authority that's set up apart from God. And so it's, it's really about understanding that our submission to anybody that God calls us to submit to on the earth is really about submitting to him himself. And so when we have a problem with submitting to a boss or you know, our government or an elder in the church, the, the issue is really about our submission to God. And it reveals that we've got an issue with ultimately submitting to him. And this is not an easy thing for us to hear in our culture. We don't like this. We don't want to, want to hear it at all. But God has set things up to where he has placed people to lead other people in his divine wisdom. And it is all for our good. 
and the challenge for us is to trust that God knows what he's doing. And yeah, there may be times when the, those leaders fail. I mean, Peter's readers had every reason to not want to submit to the earthly authority in their day because they were being oppressed and persecuted. But it's not about whether all of that's happening perfectly. It's about obeying what God has, has, has put, set forth for us. It's not an easy thing for us to do. But in, in the rest of verse 5, Peter moves on to address the entire church all at once. So he addresses the elders, the rest of the church, and then now he moves to address us all at once. And he says this, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we're all called to treat one another with humility, regardless of who we are. And that means that we should treat and love one another as though others are more important than we are. It means we should have one another's best interests at heart and let that be the basis we interact together. So not trying to measure ourselves and think about, like, do I owe this person that or that person this, but just understanding that Christ came and he gave his life and he served the lowest of society and, and he set a model for us that it's not about who, how people stack up. We're just called to have humility towards everyone. And really, that's, that's God's heart towards us. He, he's been that way towards us, and so he's asking us to follow his lead. And that, that brings the, answer, the third answer to our question. God is calling the church to treat one another with humility. He calls the church to treat one another with humility. And he gives us really kind of two reasons to listen to this, to, to, to really take this at face value. First of all, he says, God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud. When you and I operate in pride or arrogance, we have set ourselves up against God and, and, and in essence, we've, we've made him an enemy. Because God is sovereign. He is the ultimate one in all of, crea- you know, above all creation and all things. And when we think that we know what we're doing and we know how to uh, govern this world better than he does, we make ourselves an enemy with him. Because at its core, pride is thinking that we know how to do things and, and how to carry things out better than God does. So that's the first reason Peter gives us to listen to this. But then secondly, he says, but God gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I think it's really important for us to stop and and really recognize, you know, we know this. I think some of us, you know, a lot of us know this, but we kind of drift away from the reality that that you and I aren't people who occasionally mess things up and make small mistakes, but we are people who are desperately in need of grace. And we, our lives are a mess if we do not, submit them to the Lord, and trust him. We are completely depraved sinners in desperate need of an enormous amount of grace all the time. And thankfully, we have a God who is the God of all grace. That's what it says in verse 10. But there's a condition for accessing that grace that we need. We have to be humble. We have to be. God has the floodgates of heaven ready to pour down every ounce of grace that you and I need. 
but we have to be humble if we want to receive that. We have to recognize that God is holy, that he is wise, that he knows what he's doing and we don't. That he's holy and we're not. We have to believe that because of our sin, we've fallen short and we deserve death. We have to see ourselves as the sinners that we truly are in comparison to him in his perfect righteousness and his perfect beauty. And then when we do that, he promises to give us grace. He promises to give us what we don't deserve, his eternal unchanging love, his forgiveness and eternal life. But we have to be humble. So after addressing our horizontal relationships in these first few verses, in verse 6, Peter goes on to address our vertical relationship with God. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So in order to humble ourselves, we have to lower our opinion of our own importance and admit that we don't have it together, that we need God's help. And this brings us to the fourth and final answer to that question of how is God specifically calling us to humility. He's calling every person to submit to him out of humility, to submit to him. And how do you do that? It's kind of like what I was just talking about. You recognize that God is completely holy, completely righteous, completely wise. He knows everything. He's got it all together. There's no fault within him, and we don't. By admitting that we need him. And what does it look like? Look at verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Some translations actually end the sentence at the end of verse 6 and then start a new sentence in verse 7. But I like the ESV's way of dealing with it because they say, humble yourselves, finishes verse 6, and then it says, as a comma, and says, casting all your anxieties on him. That is what it means to humble yourself. It means to just dump the truck of your worries and all of your concerns on God and not hang on to them. To not think that, you know, it's some partnership where I'll do my part and you do, my, do your, your part, but just realizing I've got nothing. Like think of the beatitude, blessed are those who are, who are uh, spiritually poor, the, the idea is bankrupt, coming to a place where we realize that we do not have anything in and of ourselves. We need him completely. So it involves bringing our hurts, it involves bringing our concerns, the things that weigh us down, and not like asking God to carry some of it, but just releasing all of it onto him, casting it onto him. Recognizing that we've tried again and again and again, and every time we try in our own strength, we ultimately continually fail again and again. And realizing, okay, I can't do this anymore, and just leaving it in Jesus' hands. Trusting him to carry us and the things that weigh us down. It's really interesting. Sometimes when you preach, you, or when I preach, um, as I'm preparing, I'm just like, God, you have a sense of humor that you even want me to address this topic. And this is one that I think pretty much anybody who preaches feels that way about humility. But it's really interesting that the timing of, of where this sermon falls kind of with my own life. Um, I've really been struggling with this lately. Like, I've really had a hard time just relinquishing all of my worries and the things that weigh me down to God. Um, this year has been a big change for, for me, and you, you guys know that. I mean, 
I w I've started being pastor here at Skillman and also became a dad like two days later, it felt like. And when I think about the, uh, the responsibilities that God has given me, it is overwhelming. It really is. And I think that that's a gift from him that it is overwhelming. I really, at times, struggle just humbling myself and, and letting go of, of the things that, that worry me because really casting our anxieties on, on God is giving up control. It's kind of saying, you know what? Every part of me wants to make this happen and, and, and go out and finagle things and make sure that I can get this done. And to cast our anxieties on him, we have to just let go of that stuff and trust that he's going to meet our needs, trust that he's going to show up, that he's going to come through. And the thing that I've realized is that I think at my core, I'm just afraid that God just might not show up, you know? And, it, and it, it's a really hard thing to, to, to admit that there's part of you that just doubts God's goodness and his love for you. That, that's what I've been dealing with is, is just thinking, I mean, you have given me, God, you've given me a million reasons to trust you. And the biggest one being what you've shown me in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. I mean, the cross should be enough to settle the answer of, do you love me and will you come through for me? But there's just that part of us that is just so afraid and just wants to make, make sure that things go okay. And we think that we've got to do that ourselves. I don't know, maybe you don't struggle with this, but for me... It's been, a, it's been a difficult thing. And, I, and what I'm finding is that I think that because of, maybe it's just part of being human. I don't know if it's part of our culture, but we think of not having what it takes as a bad thing. And what God's been showing me is that's exactly what I want for you, is I want you to feel that, you, that you're helpless, that you need me. I want you to be dependent. You know, as Americans, we're taught to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We're told that, you know, we, we've got what it takes. We just need to try harder or, or, you know, do a little bit more. And on top of that, I think what also makes us really hard for us is that we've got all kinds of resources to depend on. You know, we've got all kinds of things that kind of blind us to our, to our need for God and our desperate um, place before him. I think a lot of us think that we're okay, but we're not. We're broken, and we need God more than we need food or air in our lungs, and we just don't know it. So God commands us to, to humble ourselves under his hand but he also promises us something. In verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So God promises to, to exalt us when we humble ourselves. You think about Christ. I mean, in his, his own life, he, he, he humbled himself, took the form of a servant, came to the earth, became a tiny little baby, subjected himself to all of the mess of our world. And then he went to the cross, and God raised him 
three days later, and has exalted him to the place high, high, higher than all things. And I said this last week, and I think it's really important for us to, to remind ourselves of this. What God has done for Christ is a picture and really more than just a picture, it is what he is doing for us who believe in him. So when we see that Christ suffered and died and was raised and is exalted, God has promised to do the same thing for us. So when we're humble and when we suffer and then when we ultimately die, we don't have to be afraid because we're going to be raised and we're going to be exalted. And really, we're already exalted with Christ positionally is what the Bible teaches but God promises to exalt us when we humble ourselves. And that's really, really good news for us. That's really, really good news. Because it means that this humbling thing, as hard as it is, the payoff is going to be just exponentially doesn't even describe it. It's going to be so much greater than anything we have to give up now. I don't know what your circumstances are today as I look out around this room. I don't know where you're at with God. I don't know if you're in a season where things are great and you're just surrendering and humil- you know, humbling yourself before him and it's just kind of working well or if you're in a season where it just feels like it's not really coming together. But regardless of where each one of us is at, I do know this, that God wants all of us to have humility, to be people who are humble. God wants each and every one of us to humble ourselves under him and towards one another. To humble ourselves under him and towards one another. And the question is, will you do that? Will you humble yourself under God? Will you simply recognize that he is God and you're not? And I'm not talking about in the sense of like you've never done that. I mean, maybe some of us, we need to do that today. This would be for the first time. But I think there's a lot of us who we know that up here, but we live life as if we're in charge and we've got it all under control. But will you come back to that simple truth that he is God and you're not and you don't know what you're doing? And will you admit that you need him and stop trying to do this thing on your own? And secondly, will you humble yourself towards one another, towards the others here in this church and in your life? Will you decide to treat people as more important than you are? Will you lay down your life for your brothers and sisters like Christ did for you out of love for him in response, in worship of who he is? Will you surrender your desires and your plans your agenda for the good of the body? These are the questions I'm asking myself. These are hard questions because you can say yes on some superficial level, but to say yes to this in a real, true, in your heart and mean it kind of way is scary because <laughs> it will change everything about the way that we live. But I believe that this is what it means to follow Christ. This is what it looks like when the rubber meets the road is to truly bow, bow our knee to God on a daily basis, letting him have his way with us, and then out of that, giving our lives away to one another. But I want to close this morning with a prayer. Um, Marcella Leinbarger has, has kind of introduced, I guess her and Matt have introduced a little bit 
from the Valley of Vision. Um, I, I encountered this book a couple of years ago for the first time. I actually haven't read through all of it, but I, I recently picked it up from the library. I'm, I'm reading through it. It's a collection of Puritan prayers. And uh, I don't know what you think about the Puritans, but they have some really awesome, awesome prayers. Like these are deep, deep things. Like each sentence of this prayer I could meditate on for like a year and still probably have more to go. It's just the, the language is so rich. And they're really short. They're like one-page prayers. Um, and I've been reading through this, and I came across this one, I think it was around the middle of the week. And it was like one of those moments where like everything stopped and God was just like, I want you to just kind of sit under this and listen to this and make this your prayer. And I think it's perfectly fitting for, for this sermon. So I want to ask you to bow, bow your head, close your eyes, and listen to these words. And, and let's, I really kind of want to pray this over us as a church, that God would, would give us a heart that prays this prayer. Let's pray. O fountain of all good, Destroy in me every lofty thought. Break pride to pieces and scatter it to the winds. Annihilate each clinging shred of self-righteousness. Implant in me true lowliness of spirit. Abase me to self-loathing and self-abhorrence. Open in me a fount of penitential tears. Break me, then bind me up. Thus will my heart be a prepared dwelling for my God. Then can the Father take up his abode in me. Then can the blessed Jesus come with healing in his touch. Then can the Holy Spirit descend in sanctifying grace. O Holy Trinity, three persons and one God, inhabit me a temple consecrated to thy glory. When thou art present, evil cannot abide. In thy fellowship is fullness of joy. Beneath thy smile is peace of conscience. By thy side, no fears disturb, no apprehensions banish, rest of mind. With thee, my heart shall bloom with fragrance." Make me meet through repentance for thine indwelling. Nothing exceeds thy power. Nothing is too great for thee to do. Nothing too good for thee to give. Infinite is thy might. Boundless thy love. Limitless thy grace. Glorious thy saving name. Let angels sing for sinners repenting. Prodigals restored. Backsiders reclaimed, Satan's captives released, blind eyes opened, broken hearts bound up, the despondent cheered, the self-righteous stripped, the formalist driven from a refuge of lies, the ignorant enlightened, and saints built up in their holy faith. I ask great things of a great God. Amen.